In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a story about some people who ministered to him and some people who didn't. And the plot twist in that story is that what really happened was that some people ministered to those in need and some people ignored those in need. In that story, Jesus told us that when we minister to people in need, we are ministering to him in his most distressing disguise, as Mother Teresa liked to say. Last week, we talked about Jesus' call to welcome the stranger, specifically in light of our commitment to LGBTQ inclusion. This week, we are considering Jesus' call to visit those in prison. And y'all, this might be the hardest sermon I have ever written. Pastor Birdie and I print the bulletins on Thursday late afternoon, and she said to me, well, are you ready to add your scripture text? And I said, nope. (laughs) Not only did I have no idea what God wanted me to say to you all, I didn't even know where in the Bible to start looking. And that doesn't happen to me very often. I've been following Jesus for a long time. I love the Bible. I love to read and study. I have been preaching weekly for more than five years, so I usually have a decent idea about how to get started. Not this week. Here's what I have. Jesus says that those who visit the prisoners are actually visiting him, and those who ignore the prisoners are ignoring him. So we should visit those in prison. Why? I don't know. For some of us, the reasoning of because Jesus said so is good enough, that we don't need any more reasons. But let's be honest, there's a lot of things that Jesus said to do that we're not doing. So why would we do this? Perhaps the better question is, why does Jesus include this in his commands? Hungry, thirsty, sick, naked, estranged or alone, and imprisoned. Those are the folks who make it onto Jesus's radar. I have been to a lot of churches in my life. A lot of them have had food pantries and clothing pantries. Several were involved in clean water projects, usually in Africa. Most had some kind of ministry to people who are sick. A couple did things for immigrants or refugees, which is the traditional interpretation of welcoming the stranger. And I think this might be the only church I have ever attended that had regular ministry to people who are incarcerated. At least anyone ever talked about it. So for me, the pertinent question is, why was this important to Jesus, but not important to us? If I'm going to let my wallet and my schedule bear witness to what is important to me, then jail ministry is not that important to me. I haven't even gone back to it since I came back from sabbatical last summer. It's not like Jesus is the only one who talks about prisoners. The image of being in bondage, being captive, shows up throughout the Bible. Joseph in prison, the ancient Hebrews captive to the Egyptians, the later nations of Israel and Judah both taken captive and removed from their homeland. The ancient Hebrew law prescribed a year of jubilee in which all prisoners were released. 
The Old Testament prophets are clear that God's kingdom will be a place where all captives and prisoners are released. Jesus says that his mission includes letting the oppressed go free. Captivity and freedom are one of the metaphors for how we understand salvation. The Apostle Paul wrote four or five letters from prison. And John wrote Revelation from prison exile. For heaven's sake, Jesus himself was a condemned criminal who was ultimately executed by the state. We worship a death row inmate. The raw material and information are there in our scriptures. So why was visiting the prisoners important to Jesus, but not important to me? I'll tell you what I think. It's actually the same message as last week. This is not important to me. Perhaps some of you would join me in this. Because it's too easy for me to separate myself from those people. Those people in prison are not like me. So, and they're separated. Literally, I can't see them, right? So it's easy for me to ignore them. I can imagine myself hungry or thirsty or sick or without adequate clothing or shelter or alone in a strange place. It is hard for me to imagine myself imprisoned because incarceration is for bad people and I'm not a bad person. Instead of embracing empathy, instead of remembering how much grace I've received from God, I am making unflattering assumptions about people I've never met. Also, I hear the news, and I've been conditioned by our culture that is so obsessed with guilt and innocence that I have this idea in my head that those people who are not like me probably are getting what they deserve. Now, I don't spell it out that clearly ever, but that's pretty much what it is. And so once I say it out loud, I can hear how problematic it is. Only people like me, people that I can imagine myself to be, are worthy of my time and attention. Ouch. Beloved ones, we go entirely off the rails of the gospel when we start judging who deserves our compassion and who does not. The gospel cannot be about deserving because that's the way the world already works. The good people deserve good stuff, and the bad people deserve bad stuff. That's not revolutionary at all. The revolutionary gospel is that everyone is a beloved child of God, and that God refuses to deal with any of us in terms of what we have done or what we have left undone. The revolutionary gospel is that good people can stop exhausting themselves trying to prove how good they are, and bad people can stop exhausting themselves making up for the bad things they've done and despairing that they will never be good enough. That's the good news. No judgment for anyone based on what we do or don't do. You can't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can only trust in God's love for you and allow that loving acceptance to change how you live. So, if we're not going to use the category of who deserves our compassion in ministry and who does not, 
What might move us to action? This week, I found a quote by World War II-era German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer that rang so true to me. In a letter that he wrote from prison, from a concentration camp in which he was eventually executed, he wrote this. We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. The only profitable relationship to others and especially to our weaker brethren is one of love. And that means the will to hold fellowship with them. God himself did not despise humanity, but became man for men's sake. I invite you to read past the gendered language. Bonhoeffer was a man of his time and place. We must learn to regard people in light of what they suffer. The only profitable relationship is one of love, and that means holding fellowship with people. What if our criteria for engaging in ministry was to simply go where there is suffering? Not wait for the suffering to come to us, but go find it. After all, Jesus came to us. Now, a greater degree of suffering does not mean that those people are more important than other people or that their suffering matters more than other suffering. But it does mean that their suffering is more urgent. If you have two children who both wipe out while riding their bikes and one has a scraped knee and the other one has a bleeding gash, you know where to direct your immediate attention and energy. Not because one kid is more important than the other, but because one situation is more urgent. Incidentally, parenthetical statement, this is the meaning behind Black Lives Matter. Obviously, all lives matter. But the assault on black lives is urgent, thus the needed reminder that black lives matter. It's about urgency, not about who's important. When we agree that everyone matters the same amount and we engage in a little spiritual triage, we can make some non-judgmental decisions about where the suffering is most urgent and where Jesus might be calling us to direct our attention. And friends, the suffering is great in our criminal justice facilities. Please stop right now and retrain your thoughts if you are thinking, yes, but they deserve to be there. Interrupt that thought and remember that we are not judging based on what people do, but based on how much they suffer. You might be shocked to know how many people are in prison basically because of what they suffered before they went in. Not everyone loves their kids like you do. And neglected and abused kid often grows up to harm others. Not everyone has the same emotional support system that you have. And it is hard to deal with abuse and grief and addiction by yourself. Not everyone has the financial safety net that you have, and desperate people make desperate choices. 
You will find the saddest stories in America behind bars. Most people wind up incarcerated because they have already suffered. Before they victimized others, most of them were victims. And once they're inside, it's still pretty miserable. Maybe Martha Stewart's prison was some kind of picnic, but that is the exception that proves the rule. It is too cold or too hot, and you don't get a choice about what to wear. The lights are always on, always. Many people in Delaware County Jail literally never see outside, not just go outside. They don't see outside while they're incarcerated. You are cut off from any relationship that might have been healthy or life-giving for you. And what killed me most when I was there is that almost all of the women are mothers. I think every single prayer card back on that board that's from a mother says, first, please pray for my kids. You're in with a bunch of strangers. It's physically dangerous. We had to do new paperwork for the jail to let us know that we are all mandated reporters of any kind of sexual assault that we heard about while we were in there because it happens so dang much. The food is not good. You can't have anything that might easily be used as a weapon. The people in Delaware County Jail can't even have hardback books. And solitary confinement is just inhumane. Plus, studies show that the threat of being incarcerated and experiencing all of this awfulness does not actually deter crime. And a shockingly sad percentage of people wind up back in, so even having experienced it once is not enough to deter crime. People who are incarcerated have suffered and are suffering, and it doesn't matter what they did to get themselves in there. Jesus calls us to go where the suffering is. There is so much good that we can do by visiting those who are incarcerated. I am not sure that I can think of another group of people, a captive audience, if you will, who more need to hear that God is not judging them based on what they have done. Not that what they did doesn't matter, but that what they did is not the last word about who they are. When we minister in jails and prisons, we have the opportunity not only to affect individual lives, but to affect the system. When we have relationships with inmates, with correctional officers and other staff at the jail, we are much better positioned to talk about reform. Let me just say for myself, I think there needs to be criminal justice reform. That means I need to be visiting people. So let's remember who we are and to whom we belong. Let's remember what, that what God has done for us, God has done for everyone equally. Let's remember that Jesus calls us to follow in his steps by going to those who are suffering. Jesus put himself in our shoes and he insists that we must do the same for each other. The instruction to visit the prisoners can be justified by one or two passages in scripture. It is a natural result of the whole message of the gospel. Remember, our trust in God's love should change how we live. 
The book of Hebrews chapter 13 puts it all together by saying, let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. May we all be transformed by that kind of empathy. Amen. Amen. As is usually our custom here, I want to offer you a few moments for reflection. For you, that might mean that you close your eyes to block out distractions, or you might find something in the room to focus on. I invite you to pay attention to how your body feels. If you're feeling clenched up, pay attention to that, release it. Take a deep breath and let that out. And just listen for how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Perhaps God is challenging some of the assumptions that you make about people who are incarcerated. Perhaps challenging your need for any people to get what they supposedly deserve. Perhaps reminding you that love for you is not based on what you do or don't do. calling you personally to pay more attention to those who are in prison. freedom, we receive the love that you have for us, and we heed your call to carry it to those who are suffering. Would you use us as your hands and feet as we seek to be part of your plan to renew the world? Amen.